Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I think to give an answer as to how, as an individual, you will know, the answer is you won't. You've either got a mindset that you want to be in a certain type of class of uh, fund or you don't. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money, and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Mark. With a C. Lovely to see you again. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. How are you? Good. Amid concerns about a new COVID variant, um, but I think... Everyone's a bit croaky that I know, but mostly it's just colds. And we're in a you situation. Sound a bit coldish. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's got colds and you automatically think it's um, COVID, but it's not always, although not. some medical advisors want you to think that. So why are you uh, why are you feeling good? I'm feeling chirpy today because for the first time I negotiated a higher freelance rate. Nice. Tell us, I tell us more. Have in the past thought that sometimes I undersell myself and my wife always says I do. Um, you do, and you undersell her. <laughs> um, so um, I was given a brief for some work to do for a big company and they sent it and I've done regular stuff for them before and it felt like a lot more than usual. So I looked through it and I sat and I pondered for a while and I thought, well, I could just say I can't do this, it's too much. Or I thought or I could just ask for more money. And usually I'm a bit nervous about that because I sort of think, well, it could sour your relationship. But I uh, wrote down my reasoning and I was yeah. calm. And I said, um, I said, well, I was kind of polite. I said, I wouldn't usually ask, but this feels like more work than, than usual. I think it would take me this much extra time. Can we move the rate up to this much? Okay, and, what's good for you? Yeah, and they agreed. And is that just for that one piece of work or is that going to be for everything with them moving forward? Well, now we've got a precedent, haven't we? So we'll see. I don't know. This is this is this particular piece of work is more than usual. But I think see, what the, you should have done when you were negotiating is yeah. you, you've based it on this particular piece of work, yeah. which might then shot you in the foot for future pieces. Oh, I needed you by my side. I'm sure you'll be all right. I'm sure you'll be all right. Well, good for you. So uh, that's uh, that's nice. Yeah, lesson is don't undersell yourself. Know your yeah. worth. So you've been a freelancer for how long? Uh, since 2016. So this is the first time you've put your fees up? Uh, well, usually I just... Well, no, usually if someone offers me a rate, I'll take it if it's reasonable. And if it's rubbish, I just won't do the work. Okay. But yeah, I've never rarely gone back and said I need this much more. So maybe in future, if rather than saying the rate's too low, say this is my minimum... Uh, yeah. But sometimes the rate is so low that there's there's no way that someone's going to go up to what I want or need. Fair but, enough. Yeah, I could try. I actually, just thinking about fees, very rarely put our fees up. Um, 
which I'm not so I'm not suddenly now contemplating doing it. But, uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't tended to put our fees that much. That is interesting, I guess, as a as an advisor, because your costs do go up. But yeah, for if your clients do it, I guess might be a bit annoyed if suddenly you said, "Well, I've got to increase my fees," and the client might say, "Well, what what more are you doing?" But but you do have well, we, business we, costs. Yeah, we'd only put them up if it was justifiable, and it probably is. But at the same time, we we're happy to sort of as long as we're making a, enough. We're not going to get greedy, a bit like you with your rates. You're not going to. It's got to be reasonable. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'll always do this podcast for free. Oh, what do you mean for free? You're not getting paid. No. Who's paying you? (laughs) Just teasing. Um, Thanks to our sponsors. (laughs) If you want to sponsor us, please contact Mark at CavendishContent.com. Mark with a C. Yeah, Cavendish with a C. Cavendish with a C. Uh, Speaking of putting money away knowing your worth, preparing. Uh, I wanted to talk on this episode about pensions. Nice. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So if you've got a job... Yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming. If you've got a job, but if you're over, I think, age 22, most people are automatically enrolled into a workplace pension scheme. And each month, their employer will put some of their salary in to a pension and will and the, your boss will also contribute uh, an amount to help you automatically build a retirement pot and essentially to ensure you have some money when you come to retire. But starting a pension is really just the beginning, isn't it? Because a lot of people think, you, well, you've got a pension, you're contributing, but in some ways that's not always enough. No, I think that's where some people come unstuck because if you're not financially literate financially savvy what you said is right you'll think well i've got a pension that's going to keep me in retirement but actually just doing the minimum isn't going to get you a decent retirement a decent income in retirement and because so when should we talk about a bit a little bit about how your how sort of pension works when through your workplace yes so your employer or the company you work for will set up a pension scheme so i'll go to an investment or a pension company, I don't know, like legal in general or Aviva and they'll appoint them to run your scheme and then your contribute and your money will go to an Aviva pension. But Yeah, so, so you normally have, they're usually like group personal pensions and the company will set up a scheme for all employees so rather than a bespoke one for you. There's usually a group one, uh, albeit your money is yours in its own pot, but everyone's got the same thing. And the legislation says that you as the employee contribute 5% of your salary into this pension and your employer contributes 3%. That's like the statutory minimums, Hmm. which most companies do, but some employers, some generous employers will put more than that. They might say, well, if you put 10%, we'll put 10% or whatever number they choose. Hmm. And that normally gets paid in, um, automatically for you at the end of the month, what the employer will do is when their for payroll is getting the the uh, paychecks, everything ready, they'll automatically deduct that five percent that you've got to contribute and pay that over into your pension on your behalf. Okay, but that money then goes into a pension fund. Yeah, like you said, legal and general or Viva yeah. or whoever. But then often these are going into uh, sort of standard like default fund aren't they yeah if you if you don't take action then you'll go into the provider's default 
option. So the first thing I would say is if you're not in your workplace pension scheme, get yourself signed up because that's free money to go into the pension scheme. The employer, if you contribute, will put 3% of your salary into your pension, which they're not going to do if you don't contribute. So that's the first thing to do. Hmm. And with all financial planning, the first step is taking action. So you've done that. If you never did anything ever again, okay, you're not going to have the best retirement, but at least you've got something. But assuming you do want to take a bit more control, then you can start to think about, well, what fund am I invested in? And most pensions will have this default option, which is like a mid, middle range in terms of the risk scale, where they might put half your money in equities, shares, you know, great companies of the world, and the other half in bonds, like loans to companies. And so I guess the issue there is not everyone is middle range. Correct, yeah. Um, so what we have to do with our clients for compliance purposes is what's called an attitude to risk questionnaire, attitude to risk profiler, which helps establish, I mean, the actual document I think we spoke about in the past isn't, the most useful, but the actual document then gives you a classification. Are you of limited risk, cautious, balanced, adventurous, speculative? I think we've got about five different categories. And based on that, we can then tailor what type of funds people should be in. But you can do it yourself. You can just decide, right, I, I am 20 years old. I am going to retire in 40 years' time when I'm 60. I can afford to be adventurous with my pension, therefore I should opt for the adventurous fund. And so a lot of people may not be aware that that they don't have to accept that default fund, do they? They can there are other funds available through their workplace scheme. Correct. I mean, usually the provider would have contacted you to say this, because if you haven't read the paperwork or the well, who reads the paperwork? Come on. Boring people like me. Yeah. But no, I have to have to read it. But um yeah, you you probably if you, if you don't know about the stuff, then you wouldn't be aware. Correct. Yeah, because I guess a lot of people would start a job, and then you're enrolled after like three months or something, aren't you? <clears throat> yeah, and and actually, the for for your normal average employee, I don't mean average in terms of your ability, but just your typical person, you're you're not going to opt to make a change. And that's, I think, a human psychology thing, human behaviour, that you would rather go for the option they have given you than risk making a proactive decision and making the wrong choice and being worse off than you would have been. And what's the risk of doing that? It, there's no, I don't think there is a risk, but human behaviour says that we would rather do nothing and just maintain the status quo then make a, a decision, an active decision, which puts us worse off. So we would feel the loss of that decision more than we would feel the benefit. Is that making sense? Yeah. So most people will actually say, you know what, I'll just stick in the default fund. Everyone else is in it. It must be okay. But I guess you could get better returns by looking at... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm just sort of saying the psychology behind it, why a lot of people won't, won't yeah. change. Um, you could get better returns, you could get worse returns. And that's why most people will just say, well, I'll leave it. Hmm. But I would say if you are a long way off retirement, you should 100% be going for the adventurous option. And by adventurous, I don't mean like gambling, putting it all red or black, yeah. but the higher equity content funds. 
if you are, even if you are close to retirement and historic um, wisdom has been, as you approach retirement, you should move out of shares and equities and into bonds and cash accounts. But nowadays that's not the case. If you've got a 30 year retirement, you should still be leaving your money in equities and shares and, and businesses. So even if you're close to retirement, the chances are you still want to be in adventurous funds. I, the answer is not as, as black and white as that, and you've got to look at the individual circumstances, but at a high level, go go for more equities. How, how much choice of funds are there for people on a workplace scheme? It depends on the provider. Some might only have three, like a cautious, balanced, adventurous. Some might have hundreds where you can pick um, from all different fund managers, you know, all the, all the big names, the Fidelities, the Black Rocks, the... Uh, Lins, what's his name? Linsel Train. Train. Yeah. All that type of, he's had a bit of bad press today, but all those type of um, fund managers. And what a lot of them actually do is they have what's called like a lifestyling option. Have you come across those? Uh, yes. So, so that for, for our listeners, for our one listener, um, if you aren't unaware, so that's where the pension will automatically change the asset allocation from out of shares and into lower volatile asset classes as you approach retirement. So it might be each 10 years, you go down the volatility or the risk scale. And so there may also be funds that do sort of sustainable or uh, environmental, social and governance focused investing as well. Yeah, like we had that chat with with your mate at Prudential a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, There are, you could say, right, I want to go in the ethical funds. Yeah, And if you're really um, being specific and, and being niche, you might say, well, I'm going to go into the North American equity fund or the Chinese bond fund or whatever else it may be. You can get really niche mm. if you want to. So we've mentioned a few styles there, like cautious, balanced, adventurous and sustainable. But how, how do you decide which one of those you are if, you're, if you want to come out of a default fund? It's a very difficult one, and I was, uh, which is why most people won't make a choice, um, because you're you're having to make a judgment, a decision as to where you think the market's going to go. And as we said, for your average person, you're not going to know. I put myself, if I think back to when I first started working uh, at Deloitte back in the day, and I got opted into pension, I didn't have a clue. Should I be in equity? Should I be in bonds? Should I be active? Should I be passive? Should I be um, American, UK, European, emerging markets? Just to name a few, there's hundreds of them. So I think to give an answer as to how, as an individual, you will know, the answer is you won't. You've either got a mindset that you want to be in a certain type of class of uh, fund, or you don't. Okay. And how... If you do know where you want to be, how, how regularly yeah. do you think you should review it? Um, not too often is the answer. I don't think you should do it too often. So if you've got, ideally, when you set up any investment, you want to go into it thinking, well, I'm never going to change this. This is going to stay like this forever because I've made a good choice. We will um, look at portfolios on a regular basis. We'll sit down with clients once a year to chat through it if there's something that needs changing during the year we'll do it but ideally we're not going to make changes so it's a it's a tough one because you could what tends to happen is 
there was a study, I don't know how long ago, that um, I can't remember who did it. It might have been Fidelity, but they looked at all their accounts and they found that the people who had the best returns uh, were either dead, um, so because they just hadn't made changes and left it as it was, or females were better than males because they were less likely to change things. And you would find the people that chase the best funds regularly so look at they look at the, t- the like the best buy tables or whatever it is. So see who was best last year. Put the money in that. Mm. Tend to lose out because the fund that was great last year is the fund that does worse this year. Hmm. I guess you've probably you've probably done some research on this. Probably mm. not that not that I can <laughs> can remember, but yeah, I mean the guy, there is always as know, whenever we write when I'm I'm writing articles, it's always we're always including tips to review what's in your pension and and how it's performing and i guess it could be that one day when you first start working and you're young and 22 i don't know well you technically should be adventurous more yeah. conventional wisdom would say and then you may want to scale back but some people may think oh i don't know enough about pension and investing so i want to start cautious and then you could gradually work up to adventurous and then you'd need to be changing where your money is but yeah i would say no, not. Look, I don't think it's wrong. It's. I wouldn't say it's the best thing to do. Doing something in terms of looking at it is better than nothing. I would say, if you, as a minimum, get your statement from your workplace pension one a year, once a year, have a, a flick through it, and decide if you've got any concerns. That's that's being more proactive than a lot of people who will get the statement and just file a little bin it. But really, unless you know what you want or what your views on the markets are, that's where uh, a professional would come in handy because they'll do all this for you. Yes. And they're, they're, I think the government wants to kind of make pension statements more jazzy, don't they, and make it make them more simple. Because at, at the moment, I guess if you're not financially savvy and you, you get these annual statements from your pension provider, you'll just see some figures and maybe some graphs. I don't know. It might just be a bit of a turnoff. Yeah, they're not the easiest to understand. And also, all the providers um, use different methodologies. So if there was a some sort of standardized statement, it would help. I don't think they're ever going to be easy because pensions aren't easy. But if they could make it, if they could come up with a very simple way to understand it, that'd probably be helpful. And you mentioned an advisor there, but can an advisor help you if you've got a workplace pension that you haven't set up through them? Yeah, of course can. Yeah, your advisor can help you on whatever you want them to. Tell me, how would that work? Well, no differently. So some workplace pensions, you can appoint an advisor. So they've actually got access to it and they can log in and, and act on your behalf. Some of them, you'll just need to provide them with the information and they can chat about it to you and, and guide and advise you. Sometimes it will be formal advice and you'll get a report. And sometimes it might just be a bit of guidance for things for you to think about and make a decision yourself. And is there usually any cost to that depends on however your advisor charges with you so uh, it's it's um what's the word i'm looking for depends it depends it depends yeah that, that'll do that'll <laughs> two do. words um yeah. but i mean are you saying this would any because could i if i didn't already have a relationship professional relationship with you um could i just come and knock on your door and say i want you to look at my workplace pension or do i already have to have Stuff with you, stuff with you, no, money you, with you. There'd be nothing to stop you asking asking that. I'm sure most advisors 
will do, are happy to do the work if they can add value to the client and if they can get paid to add that value. Then I don't know why anyone wouldn't help. And we've talked about workplace schemes here, but what if you're self-employed? If you're self-employed, you are responsible for your own pensions. So there is no self-employed workplace scheme. Hmm. If you don't set one up, you haven't got one. That makes it a lot harder. It means you've actually got to be proactive and do something yourself. And hopefully you will, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably got one. You probably set up a podcast, uh, a pension because you're interested in finance. <laughs> if you aren't aware, then hopefully your accountant who helped you set up your business has sort of pointed you in the right direction of a financial advisor. Or hopefully you've got a financial plan of friends who can help you with it. Oh, nice. And I guess for a self-employed person as well, it's the same sort of thing. You could be set up with a pension scheme, but they could also just be just have a default fund. So you've got to do same sort of research correct yeah if you're doing it yourself you would need to pick either go for the middle option or, or do your own research and, and decide yourself but then you don't also don't benefit from employer contributions correct it's all you obviously if you've got a limited company and your company is your employer pays into your pension rather than you playing it personally that's very tax efficient it's a very good thing to do okay and what about when it comes to taking your pension what about it in terms of how you're accessing it how how much more involved do you think you should get then like both by yourself and also seeking advice that's i would say um that's really important if you think about your financial plan and you think about sort of that colorful cash flow chart that we looked at hmm. built into that is how we anticipate accessing your pensions investments in the future so we know and we look together every year how we're planning on doing that if you have never thought about this you've got to be very careful because the decision you make at the point of taking it can be irreversible if you do certain things and there's certain ways you can access your pension that could be more tax efficient than others so I would say yeah, definitely when you are at retirement, if you've never spoken to someone during your whole working life and assume you don't have the knowledge to do it yourself, then at least speak to someone once to make sure what you're doing is going to be the sensible thing for your next 30-year retirement. Because mm -hmm. I think there are plans from the FCA to introduce guidance sessions that pension providers have to push people, nudge, I think they're called nudges, nudge people towards when they're coming to retirement but they're suggesting that we should be sessions through pension wise which is like the government backed pension guidance service but is, is guidance enough um for some people yes if you're if for some people guidance is perfect and they're intellectual uh, intelligent enough to listen to the guidance to read the guidance and make an informed decision for some people they get the guidance but they won't understand it because hmm. guidance so, will just tell you what your options are, but advice will actually, what, or planning will show you how you can do it. Yeah, planning will say, well, these are the options, but this is the one we recommend for you because your money will last longer because it will leave something to your kids because you're going to get more tax-free because you don't need this. It's going to be better for inheritance tax. So if your affairs are a little bit more complicated, then you definitely want to seek advice at that point in time. Hmm. 
Do you remember your first pension? I do, yeah. It was when I was at Deloitte. And how did it feel getting that set up? I um I remember like when I got the stuff in, I was like, right, I'm signing up straight away. And I don't know what must have always had an interest in it, where some of my uh colleagues that I joined with at the same time, like a couple of years later, still hadn't joined the pension. Right. And I always thought, well, why wouldn't I? Yeah. So I must have had that mindset even before I got into financial services. What about you? What was yours? Uh, I think mine, I must have had little pensions set up when I was working at smaller publications. But then once I started working for FT Trade Mags, I remember <clears throat> getting it set up with possibly Fidelity. And then, yeah, and obviously I was working in business journalism, so I understood the importance of a pension. It was quite annoying though, seeing my pay slip and the gross amount and then how much is taken out for a pension. You sort of think, I'm not going to see that money for decades. Yeah, it is a, it's a long-term thing. But what you've got to remember is each time you're putting money into your pension, some people think I'm paying into this or whatever it may be. You're contributing to your future self. Yeah. So if 60-year-old Josh and Mark were recording episode 1,000, <laughs> you've got to think, well, what's that person going to think of you for not doing it? Or are they going to thank you for doing it? Hmm. it it's you. I know it's hard to put yourself in that position, but it's you that's going to benefit. That's nice. So, Mark, if you're listening in the future, you're welcome. <laughs> Josh, um, I'm glad you're, you're out of rehab. Air out. Yeah, if you're out of rehab. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's all I've got time for i've got to go think about our thousands of episodes unless you've got anything else to add well before we go tell okay. us about um last time you were about to head off to buy to dubai for like 24 oh, goodness, hours yes tell so us i got about that. on an airplane and um the flight left at uh 10 o'clock at night and landed the next morning at 7 30 in the morning so in my head i thought well i'm going to get a good eight hours sleep what i didn't consider was there's actually a time difference when you fly to a different part of the world so yeah. um Dubai is four hours ahead of the UK. So by the time I got on the plane and we were about three hours in, I probably only managed to get about three hours sleep before we then arrived. And it was... Well, how does that um, work? Sorry, I missed that bit. You didn't go to sleep straight away. Is that what you're saying? No, exactly. Well, you can't go to sleep straight away because you get dinner and I was hungry. I don't know why <laughs> they were serving dinner at 10 o'clock at night. Well, by the time I got dinner, it was 11 o'clock. So I had my dinner, tried to sleep. Watch the film? Yeah, I did watch a film. Yeah, what'd you watch? Bad Boys for Life. The bad, bad Boys 2 bad and 3. Boys it's the latest one. It's good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. That's probably the we problem. Ride together. The film. We died together. Exactly. Podcast um, for life. <laughs> Dubai was very nice, though. It's uh, an interesting city. Um, I, I reviewed a cruise ship of called the MSC Virtuosa. A lovely ship. Yeah. What does the MSC stand for? The Mediterranean Shipping Company. They started okay. is it, um, just Dubai, doing... Is Dubai on the Mediterranean? No, you're absolutely right. But Dubai is looking to become uh, an international cruising hub, a gateway okay. to the Middle East, to the Gulf. And um, its partnership with MSC will help facilitate this. And I spent a the night there. It was a nice ceremony. There was a performance from Rag and Bone Man, who oh, that's our, good. our old listeners is a singer, not a man who comes and picks up your any old iron. Yeah. And did you uh, sleep on the ship or in yeah, a hotel? I slept on the ship. So you slept one night on an airplane. 
one, one night on an airplane on, on a ship yeah and then what you went back the next day went back the next day amid concern about new covid variants and the need to do pcr tests yeah you but don't have to do it or is I, there any way for 24 hours do you? well that's yeah that wasn't clear and then they it was a time when they were saying we're gonna you have to do PCRs after day two instead of lateral flow tests, but then they didn't bring that in until the Tuesday, but everyone thought it was gonna be the Sunday when we were coming back. So that added a bit of stress and made me think that traveling may not be worth it for the next few years. Although you should travel. The travel industry needs your support. Especially MSC well, cruises. Now. I'm back, safe, cold. Yeah. It's good. Good. Okay. Well that is all we have time for. Thanks for sailing with the Infra Penny podcast. Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being Infra Penny. Infra Penny.